For years as a pastor, I used to ask a basic question to open a discussion about somebody's spiritual life and his relationship or her relationship with God. I did this knowing with 99% certainty what the answer would be. I don't ask this question anymore <laughs> because I realized it didn't really move the conversation in a positive direction. So I'm going to ask you this. Imagine if our lead pastor, Tom Ricks, were to ask you, how's your prayer life? <laughs> How would you respond? <laughs> What my experience was when I would ask somebody that is they would look down, they would hem and haw, and then they would say, not so great. Is that how you feel about your prayer life? Have you ever thought about why? Most people will say, oh, well, I wish I prayed more or I wish I prayed harder. But I think underneath those gloomy self-assessments, there's another reason that we may not think about. If we were to talk honestly about prayer, most would say that prayer is a monologue. Us talking to God about prayer um, and hoping that God is listening. We tell our God our troubles, our desires, our needs, and sometimes we really pray earnestly, then we hear nothing. Is God really listening? Will he answer us? Okay, but I have to yell at you guys. Okay, what? Like everything they do at this house, they can't trust everything at Grandma's house. Okay. Okay, then what? Then you're not listening to me. Then you're not listening to me. I asked you not to do something. Linda, but listen to me. Look at. <laughs> So, the question is, is God listening? Has God stopped speaking to us? Has he stopped interacting with modern believers directly and intimately? I think not. And earlier in our series, we considered John 10, 27, where Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. There's nothing in Scripture that indicates that he has pulled back from that promise. He knows us so well that he speaks into our lives exactly how we need to hear and causes us to come alive and follow him. But when we stop listening, like this little gentleman, he, he, he follows us into the dangerous places that we may have strayed and carries us back like a good shepherd. In the same way, in Romans 8, 26 and 27, we learned that the scripture says that when we don't know how to pray about a certain situation, the Holy Spirit who knows us and the Father intimately interprets our hopes, our needs, our desperations in such a way that the Father responds by working what's best for us in that situation. So today's sermon is the third in our series on prayer as conversation. And I want to look at a familiar passage on prayer. Most of us 
look at it as instructions to pray, and that it is. But I think it's more than that. I think it lays out a conversation that any of us can have with God in real time right now. So I want to go through the stages of that conversation, and then we'll break it apart. But our sermon in a sentence is this. Conversations with God are not like those we have with people, but they are just as real. So let's look at this conversation from this passage after I read it, actually. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, present, let your request be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Let me pray. The beauty of what you offer us in this passage, Lord, is astounding. That you would be so present with us. That as we just turn to you and speak something out, you hear. And so I ask in this moment that you would draw near to each one of us. That you might place in each one of us a little nugget of hope, of faith, of joy, of rest, and I ask that now, that you would do that and set aside my brokenness and my sinfulness so that it does not distract anyone, but only give glory to you. I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. So let me show you the flow of the the conversation. First, God starts the conversation. Second, we rejoice. Then we get reasonable then God assures his his availability. We face our anxieties. We tell God about our desires and needs. We release them to God, and God grants peace and guards our hearts. So let's start with the conversation that God started. A number of years ago, I was traveling down to Birmingham where my brother lived at the time. We hadn't seen each other for quite a while, And so when we arrived there and stepped into his kitchen, we just looked at each other and just we all all of a sudden we just grabbed each other's shoulders and started literally dancing around the kitchen. (laughs) We were so excited to see one another. Now, that's not normal for us, okay? We hadn't done that before. We haven't done that since. But in that moment, since we hadn't seen each other's, all the longing to be with each other, to hear and listen, and all the memories of all the good stuff, and maybe not the so good stuff that we did, came together and we were just rejoicing that we could have a chance to be with each other. So when Paul calls us to rejoice, the conversation never started there. God started the conversation a long time before that. We now have a chance to respond to the invitation about that and talk together. You see, in Philippians 1.6, he says this, And I am sure of this, 
that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He caught your attention. He made himself vulnerable to you. You know, any good relationship is based on vulnerability. If all you say is, hi, how are you? I'm fine. How are you? I'm fine. There's no relationship. But God knew that. And he became vulnerable to us, as it says in chapter 2 of Philippians. Jesus emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, by being born in likeness of men, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. You see, he took care of everything that could separate us from him. He came close to us. He became a human so he could understand all the things we go through, the emotions, the deprivations of life, all of those things, so he can identify with us. He draws close to us. And he let us see how great and powerful and loving he truly is. He stirred up our desires to accept that invitation. (laughs) He began a relationship with us as we received the word of faith. He gave us citizenship in heaven. Let me read again in in Philippians 3. This all was what Paul thought of as he was leading up to this prayer. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So his power that controls all things gives us an entrance into his heaven. And more than that, especially for older folks like me, he gives us a new body. Man, that's something to rejoice about, isn't it? Those of you who live with aches and pains every day. So he is here. He wants us to know him. So that's why we rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Notice now, rejoicing is recognizing God as the giver of the good things in your life. I'd like you to take a moment now to think about something that God has done for you. It could be one of the things that I've just mentioned or something that's special to you. And it's just a moment. So as you rejoice, you might feel like dancing around the sanctuary, and if that's your desire, then please go ahead. Or you may, uh, you may do your rejoicing in a more quiet manner, like the interaction I had a number of years ago with Charles Barkley. I think most of you know him, an NBA star and uh, part of many commercials, especially with Samuel Jackson and Spike Lee. So he lives in the Birmingham area, which is where Carol and I lived for a number of years. So he and I were, were driving in our own cars, going down one of the major thoroughfares in Birmingham. And as traffic slowed to a stop, I looked over and I thought, oh, there's Charles Barkley. At that moment, he looked over at me. I nodded to him. He nodded back. I acknowledged him. He acknowledged me and we drove off. <laughs> so... When we, see, when we think of something that God has done for us, we can just nod and say, thank you. 
That was good. So that's what I want you to do right now. Just think of one or two things and give him a nod of appreciation in your heart. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. So it's kind of like, why did he have that repetition in there? I think it's this. You think of something and you go, oh, yeah, that's good. And then he says, again, I will say rejoice. So he wants you to take it again and savor it. Let it play around in your heart and mind. And that will, that will deepen your interaction with him, your relationship with him. And because of that, we can get reasonable. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Reasonable? What's reasonable about the, when we have to face our anxiety, which is just surging within us? Doesn't it seem absurd to rejoice when things are so messed up, so painful, so stressful? Even though rejoicing may feel like denial, when you have a protector like God Almighty who knows you and loves you, it is reasonable to rejoice in the face of fear. He pays such close attention to everything that goes on in your life, so he knows the best way to work you through that for your best. God is all-powerful. Nothing can stop him from working in you. In a minute, I'm going to show you a clip from a 1980s movie called My Bodyguard. Only the oldest of the old will know that movie. But it's about a boy named Clifford, and he was new to this high school. And as new guys have happened, he was picked on by a, a, a gang of thugs, of bullies, led by Melvin Moody. And so he got tired of all of that, and he found a big hunking guy in the school, and he asked him to be his bodyguard. And so um, <clears throat> he was looking for a way to work through this situation. So we pick up the story as he just leaves a soda fountain restaurant and is crossing the street. Because you're dead. Look at this shirt. Look what you did to this. Moody, I'd like you to meet my bodyguard. Anything you want to say to me? Talk to him first. Now, uh, what was that you were saying? Beat it, Cody. Man, take that guy. It's all yours, Big M. Go ahead, Cody. Show him how tough you are. How'd you guys come up and take this dude? It's a chump, man. Who's the food this time, huh, Cody? Good luck. 
Please say, don't leave me hanging, man. Not now. Oh, and Melvin, your protection services are no longer required by anyone. You know what I mean? You can go now. <laughs> so you see here he was facing all these problems and being beat up, and now all of a sudden he had somebody who had his back. And his whole attitude changed. His whole view of what his life was going to be like in that place changed because he had a, he had, he had a bodyguard. We, too, have someone who has our back, who guards us, who cares for us. And therefore, in the face of any kind of adversity or struggle, we can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that he's got us. And it becomes even more effective when we hear that God is completely available to us. The Lord is at hand. God is here. He's close by. He's close enough to pay attention to what's going on with you. He stands up for us. He protects us. It may seem like in the middle of some different circumstance or relationship that God is not protecting us, or he would just fix it, right? He does more than that. As Tom quoted last week, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. He is active in that situation to work in our immediate circumstances so that he, he can produce his longer-term, more encompassing purpose for you, for me. We often can't see that, and he knows that we live in a broken world where hurt and disappointment abound. So he has guaranteed the future for everyone who trusts in Christ. Even these painful events, he can turn for your good. So in the middle of the chaos, all we have to do is reach out with our thoughts, and he's right there. He is immediately present, and he is paying attention. Carol and I, my wife Carol, um, when we are together, whether we're sitting or walking, every once in a while one of us will just reach out and take the other person's hand. It's so comforting and so reassuring. And so that's the same kind of thing you could do with God in your heart and your mind saying, I feel alone here. I don't know what to do here. Will you come near to me? You're already near to me. Let me sense that. He will be there with you and for you. And in that sense of connection, we can face our anxieties. Don't be anxious about anything. This is clearly a command, and we can take it in a couple of ways. We can take it like somebody who is shaking his fist in your face right under your nose and saying, don't be anxious, fool. Or we could take it maybe a different way, like there's no need for you to be anxious here. I think that's exactly what he meant because that's the kind of approach that Jesus himself took with his disciples. Listen to what he said in Matthew chapter 6. Therefore, 
I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more of value than they? You see the tone that Jesus takes here? He's not harsh. He's not accusatory. Rather, he gently urges a change in perspective when you look at how God really cares for you. Don't be anxious about what you eat or drink because I'm going to provide for you. You are so much more valuable than the birds of the field or the flowers. And so Jesus gives the same kind of exhortation that Paul did when he said, don't be anxious. He says this, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. That helps me so much. Because one of the things I struggle with almost more than anything else is anxiety. It catches me. It drags me down. It stresses me out. And that's why these messages from Paul and from Jesus mean so much to me. Because I can reach out to him. Now, can I tell you that every time I feel anxious, it works? No. But I can tell you this is true. I can tell you that he will prevail. I can tell you that he will meet you where you are broken and needy. So, can you hear God's gentle invitation to you to come and talk about your stuff? Can you receive that? I'm going to take just a moment to answer that question in your own heart. Can you receive his offer to work with you in the midst of those things that cause you anxious? Take that for a second. So as we've accepted that, we can go to the next step, which is we tell God our needs. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. God is right here. He's right at hand. You can tell him about any kind of situation, your frustrations, your fears, your anger at others, even at God. He's a big boy. He can take, he can handle it. In fact, more than he can handle it, he wants that. He welcomes that because, you know, anger is a hot emotion. And if treated well between two individuals, not, ab- not abusively, it can really bring people close together. When you figure out, oh, I didn't know you thought that. I didn't know you felt that. It connects you. So when you feel angry with God, talk to him about it because he will receive that and work in your heart. You're safe with him. So Peter says in his letter, cast your cares on him because he cares for you. Have you ever been really upset about something and you go to a friend and you sit down and you tell him everything? How do you feel when you finish that conversation? Aren't you lighter? (laughs) Aren't you lighter? Yeah. And that's what God offers to you. Talk to him about that stuff. He's more powerful than your friend. 
he's more able to work. Now, you may not get there exactly when you want. I remember years ago, I was in a church and this one man sang a solo. He said, God may not come when you want him, but he's always, yes, he's always right on time. And so that's, that's the sense that we can have with God. He is a really good listener. And so as we come to him with our struggles and problems, we can release them to God. And everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made to God. Doesn't it seem odd for God to insert in the middle of his saying, take your requests to God, to put thanksgiving in the middle? It's kind of like thanking somebody for a gift that you haven't yet gotten, right? But what happens when, when you do that? Well, when I was growing up, my mom always used to make us write thank you notes to those who gave us birthday and Christmas presents. You know, what a chore that was. <laughs> okay. It was like, okay, you know, and you put down the minimum things you could, you could get away with and then you'd send it off, right? Um, <clears throat> so what would your parents, what would it be like if, Parents, if you were to try to ask your child to sit down on December 1st and write thank you letters to all those people who are likely to give him or her a present, <laughs> that, just, that just wouldn't work. Well, maybe it would look something like this. Dear Grandma and Grandpa, you've always been so nice to me. What a lot of fun times we have together. You always give me stuff that's really great for me, so... Don't worry about Christmas. There are a few things I could use, but you know what's best. Whatever you decide is great. Thanks for loving me, Johnny. P.S. I love you too. First of all, <laughs> what kid would ever write a letter like that, right? <laughs> but parents and grandparents, what would it do in you if you received a letter like that? See, by thanking God in advance of what he may do in your life, you change the focus of the interaction. Instead of being about things you can get, it's about the relationship. It's about interacting. It becomes a dialogue of trust where two, where two friends sit down together and talk about what would be best. That changes the whole thing. The early fathers and mothers of the Christian faith had a kind of prayer they called the prayer of indifference. And as I've mentioned that to some people before, they go, what? A prayer of indifference is like, I don't care, God. No, no, no. That's not what it is at all. It's this. When you come to a situation, you look at all the possibilities and you say to God, whatever you lead me to is okay with me. That means I'm indifferent about whether it goes this way or that way. And it's often hard to do because you really want to see this thing over here happen. But when you're in a place to let go of that, it changes the whole situation. And that is the time when God guards your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The answer is here, not that God will fix something. 
but he will be with you in the process. He will get, he will get you. But in this process, as you come to that point of being able to release that, you get something much greater than a direct answer, a fix of your problem. You get God himself. You see, when, when you have the sense of peace in your heart, that's the work of the Holy Spirit there. And that means God's alive in you. And that can change the way you look at everything, especially the circumstance that what you've been praying about. A number of years ago, I was a chaplain intern at Missouri Baptist Hospital while I was in seminary. And I was given charge of the oncology ward. And one day I walked into this woman's room and she was lying on her back. She couldn't move her head. She couldn't turn over. She had neck cancer. She couldn't read. She couldn't watch TV because all she could see was this. And she had a little slice of sky over here in the window to her right. And so I visited her a few times. And about the third time, I got bold or maybe just stupid and asked her this question. Don't you get bored? And she said this, caught me completely by surprise. Oh, no, honey. I've got my Jesus right here on my pillow. And he's good company. She knew the peace that passes all understanding. Let's pray. Thank you, our God, <laughs> that you walk with us in our messes, that you don't turn away from us, and you are patient with us until we can hear the invitation to come and talk to you about that. And I pray for each one of us here that we might take advantage of that glorious and wonderful possibility. I pray that now in Jesus' name.